When Amy Lowell died in 1925, at the age of 51, she was at the height of her fame. Her two-volume biography of John Keats, published in the last year of her life, had been greeted in this country with almost universal acclaim. She was the premier platform performer among her generation of poets. She had wrested the Imagist movement away from Ezra Pound, producing three best-selling anthologies of Imagist verse even as she published a book of her own poetry nearly every year. Pound retaliated, calling her appropriation Imagism. The pugnacious Lowell dominated the poetry scene in every sense, supporting avant-garde journals like Poetry and The Little Review, and publishing pronouncements about the new poetry. Standing only five feet tall and weighing as much as 250 pounds, she made good copy. The sister of Harvard's president, she smoked cigars and cursed. She demanded that the mirrors in her lavish suite be covered in black, the clocks silenced, the dinner service always accompanied by pitcher after pitcher of ice water, and that her bed linen and pillows be puffed up like fatted geese. Only then would the world stand to attention on Amy Lowell time. She lived on the family estate in Brookline, Massachusetts, where her seven rambunctious sheepdogs terrorized her guests. She wore a pince-nez that made her look like Theodore Roosevelt, and she was even known to say bully. Visiting guests felt they were appearing for an audience with the St. Paul of new poetry, the prima donna of poets, the queen of Cappadocia, to name just three of the epitaphs Joseph Oslander, a fellow poet, applies to her in his rollicking poem, Letter to Amy Lowell. She would descend upon her company, walking down superb stairs as her guests rose to greet her. Glittering with delight, her blue eyes dancing, she commanded the table like a behemoth over the terrified little poets, gaping and gasping at her table. She spoke in phrases reminiscent of her prismatic poetry, her words coiled up like lightning in the pure thunder of thought. Lowell traveled in her maroon Pierce Arrow, which she shipped to England in 1914, when she decided to look up Pound and seize her piece of the poetry action in London. Pound wanted her monetary support, but scorned her verse. When she chose not to play by his rules, he mocked her, parading around a party she was hosting with a tin bathtub on his head, his way of ridiculing her bath poem, written in her patented polyphonic prose. Little spots of sunshine lie on the surface of the water and dance, dance, and their reflections wobble deliciously over the ceiling. A stir of my finger sets them whirring, reeling. I move a foot, and the planes of light in the water jar. I lie back and laugh and let the green-white water, the sun-flawed barrel water, flow over me. The day is almost too bright to bear. The green water covers me from the too bright day. I will lie here a while and play with the water and the sunspots. Reading this to the Poetry Society of America, Lowell caused an uproar. This was not poetry at all, the conservative membership protested. Another account of this episode mentions titters as society members envisioned the elephantine poet at her ablutions, or rather, 
her profanation of what a dignified poet ought to perform.